And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman, Scott Wheeler, and Flow Hockey's Chris Peters for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. A very special episode today, guys, because we are going to do, basically right from the jump here, we're going to dive right into a first round mock draft. Uh, all 32 picks, we're going to alternate between the four of us. Uh, it's going to be what we think is going to happen, so this is a predictive situation here, not going off of our personal rankings. Um, and we're just going to dive right into this. So Corey has uh, randomized something to, to get the order going. Chris, you're going to step right in as, as Kyle Davidson here and kick us off. So I will turn the floor over to you. It doesn't get any easier than this, does it? Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and Tim Murray this one. The Chicago Blackhawks are proud to select Connor Bedard. And if I need to explain this to you after all we've been talking about on this podcast, then you have not been listening enough. So, Connor Bedard, pretty good player. Number one. Right, no surprises there. We'll, we'll, a round of applause for Chris Peters on that selection. Yeah. He, he did not uh, did not thank David Poyle. I think that is a huge faux pas to start our draft here. But Scott, uh, just running the draft. It here at number two. Yeah, number two, I think uh, not quite as straightforward, but still feels like it's going to be Adam Fantilli. So uh, the Anaheim Ducks will take Adam Fantilli out of the University of Michigan. I think he just fits... Uh, in terms of a bit of an explainer, I think he just fits with with what they've been building down the middle there. We saw them take Nathan Gaucher, a big, strong, physical, fast player down the middle. Uh, Mason McTavish, that same competitive edge. Now suddenly, if you take Fentilli, you've got kind of three three young players that you've taken in back-to-back-to-back drafts here down the middle that give you a little bit of bite, a little bit of competitiveness. And then obviously in Fentilli, a potential sort of first-line center if all breaks well. So uh, that that uh, I, I think it just feels like it's going to trend that way when push comes to shove. 
do we all feel that's a no-brainer, or do we think there's anyone here think there's a chance they don't go Fantilia too? I think there's a chance that they I go think there's Leo, always a chance, but it feels feels like it's a small chance that it's Leo. Yeah, I, I would just say I, I think Pat Verbeek is very much you know he does come from the Steve Eiserman school. There's always the chance for something surprising, um, but I just think in general this is something where. You know, I, I just I just feel like Fantilli's too much of a hand to glove situation for that organization right now. The only argument I keep hearing around the league is, and, and whether you believe it or not, it's an interesting debate as we get closer to the draft. Is they look at Fantilli and they compare him to Leo Carlson, and they compare him to Will Smith, and not everyone in the league agrees with this. I think most people in the league have Fantilli at two, but they'll say of those three guys, Fantilli has the worst hockey sense. And would that concern you if you're Anaheim picking him at two? Well, how is that? How has that slowed him down so far? I mean, I I've, I don't think I've ever seen it be an impediment for him. No, I mean, he, and that's and that's where I lean too. It's that you know when you're with hockey sense, you're worried about offense, and this is a guy who just led college hockey in scoring by a pretty significant margin, and yeah, I do get the concerns. Um, I had someone the uh, who worked who worked on the league the other the other day make the analogy to me that you know that well Jonathan Drouin had better hockey sense than Nathan McKinnon and you know well, you know you saw how that how that how that aged and I think you look at Fantilli you look at the season he had in terms of the offense you compare it to say Matty Veneer's season or Ken Johnson's season in their draft years and it's just miles better and I tend to agree that he'll be the guy but I think there's been surprising amount of baits on this one that I thought it was just worth discussing mm-hmm. at least a little bit. Yeah. I, I do think it would have been more of a conversation or more of a concern for me if this were this time last year and he was coming out of Chicago and there was a lot of force at plays happening and a little bit of selfishness happening and questions about whether he was going to be able to sort of use his line mates as well as he needs to. And I think he answered a lot of those pretty emphatically this year and just sort of figured out that it's not just one and done one and one hockey. And uh, I think that the IQ piece came into that where he was making making smarter reads out there and smarter decisions with the puck out there. Yeah. It's, like it's possible this, that's something that could keep him from being like a, like a 90 point center or something. Right. But I don't know that he has to be that when you consider all the dimensions to his game, if you have like a 70 to 80 point two way center, who's mean and probably one of the toughest players, certainly one of the toughest centers uh, in this class. I, I don't know that he really needs to have ultimately like above a point per game or something like that to be, uh, worthy of the number two pick. I, I don't know how you feel about that, Corey. The guy I've been thinking about a lot with him has been Jonathan Taze. And Jonathan Taze, when he was at his prime, I would not call I think he was an extremely skilled player, but I would never have called him like this elite playmaker or th- this guy who is, you know, the kind of guy who runs a power play at a high level. But he was such a good all-around player with significant skill. And I, I think that piece is just so valuable. Uh, that I just, like I said, I would be surprised, not shocked, but surprised if he was not the pick at two. Corey, why don't you keep the floor here uh, with for Columbus at number three? I think if if there was a surprise at two, I think they're taking Fantilli at three. Um, but if we if Fantilli goes two, as we presume, I think it gets interesting here. Um, I think half my league sources think it's Leo Carlson. Half my league sources say it's Will Smith. That was reflected in the mock draft I put out a couple of days ago. Um, 
that being said, I did get a, quite a, a couple of people after I published that, and I gave them Leo Carlson, who say they think it's going to be Will Smith. So uh, maybe it was like 55-45, my sources are saying Carlson, now it's like 55-45 Smith. And uh, I know Aaron Portline, our Columbus writer who's really dialed in there, has said that there is a lot of love in that organization for Will Smith. So I'm going to give uh, Will Smith here to Columbus. And I say that without confidence, um, but uh, that's just my gut feel right now is that is that's where the winds are blowing right now. If you were going to make the case for Smith over Carlson, what I mean, I, they're both very smart players, I, I think maybe – but they're both kind of have maybe some concern over whether they're centers. Carlson, maybe even the more likely to stick at center. Like Chris, if you were going to make a case for, for Smith over Carlson, how would you go about making that? Uh, I mean, I'd say that there's a little bit more of a dynamic element to his game. You know, I think that his, his creativity is, is extremely high. He is a, you know, he's just a very gifted playmaker. He's got that, that high end hockey sense though. You know, he sees a lot of things before. I I just think, you know, if you were having that debate, if I was having that debate, you know, I think that there's still a lot that Leo Carlson does um, that Will Smith just is not physically capable of because of his, you know, physiological makeup, you know, the, 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 between the two guys. But I mean, the thing about Will Smith is, you know, you've got a dynamic element to him. He would be unlike a lot of what, you know, uh, what Columbus has had in the past. Um you know, I think that there has been at various points this season questions about whether he had the the all around game to be a center. I think that he answered a lot of those questions this year. I think he drove play a lot. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is he played center all year, you know, whereas Leo Carlson did not. Um, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to it than that. But still, I think that's if you're going to make the argument, that seems like the argument that you would you would make. And I think there's a skating differential there, too. Agreed. Yeah, I would. I think that's the biggest argument is his favor is I think he's got better feet than Carlson. Carlson is bigger. And he did it versus men. Um, and probably a little bit more competitive. So I mean, those. I mean, it's it's a it's a close debate one way. But I think you can look at Smith and you can see with the skating, the skill, the hockey sense, him being that kind of play driving number one center if he really hits. Well, at, at uh, four for San Jose, then I think they'd be thrilled to to scoop up Leo Carlson. I think you know. You pair him with Philip Bestead, who they took last year down the middle. All of a sudden, you got two big centermen. Um, they've they've got some smaller players in the organization already, and I, I would have honestly been a little bit, you know, you're going to take. I, I would have taken Will Smith if he was there for them, but I think you can be a little bit worried of, of are you going to load up on too many smaller forwards, potentially smaller wingers with top picks after taking William Ackland a couple of years ago. I think San Jose would be thrilled with this outcome. Now, Chris, if I'm not mistaken, you have Mitchkov two on your personal list, correct? No, I have him fourth. So okay, give him fourth. I have yeah. Scott, has you him second. Have, I have him second. I have two. I have him three. For anybody at any of these four picks, how hard are you thinking about it in terms of again projecting what's really going to happen, or are we all thinking this is these are the four guys? This is going to be in some order. Mitchkov's not going here. It feels to me like the only real option is San Jose at four. Columbus, they've got a track record of bringing over Russians. They've done it with uh, a number of players, a handful of players in the last three years. But they just they need a center as badly as any of the, as any of these teams do. And they've got obviously Goudreau and Kent Johnson and others on the wing. Uh, and then it would be a it would be a big big cut at two. So it feels like if it's going to be anybody to me, 
that San Jose is the team that would consider it. San Jose has also, like uh, Columbus, recruited players out of Russia in the last couple of years and, and made it a habit. Uh, and it sounds like, uh, at least under, under new management, that they're committed to playing a bit of a long game with that process there. Uh, so I, I think if it is any of those first four, it's, it's likely going to be San Jose that considers it the, the strongest. I'll say this though, it, in our scenario though, like it, I think, doesn't it seem more likely that Mitchkov is in play for, uh, San Jose if Smith is the one that's still on the yes. board there, not, not Carlson. Yes. No question. I think Carlson makes just a ton of sense for them. Yeah. The only thing I thought with Columbus is the job security there for the management group. Cause again, we're projecting what we think is realistically going to happen. And realistically, if you're in, if you're in Yarmo kick a line in shoes right now, where is he on his fourth coach? Um, it's, I, I, I can't imagine he's picking a guy who won't be there for minimum the fourth season after you've drafted him. Yeah. All right, Chris, uh, that leaves uh, you with a quite the decision to make here at number five for Montreal. The draft starts here, huh? You know, like, I mean, you know, I, I think, and in, in, since we're doing this predictively, I think that this is another situation where you won't see Matt Vamichkov picked. I think that a lot of Habs fans would love to see him picked. I just don't think that that's going to be in their plans. Um, you know, you think about the, the, the top two offensive players for their team, Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, how many more, you know, uh, undersized skill players do you want? Um, and as good as Mitchkov is, you know, it's, it's becoming a little redundant. And so, I think that they're going to go. I had been saying Reinbacher for a long time. I had been, that's, that's been a lot of my mock, you know, my most recent mock. That's where I had Reinbacher going. However, the chatter that I continue to hear around the scouting community is just the, the for the difference between the forwards and the defensemen is viewed as a, is, is, is viewed as fairly significant when we're talking about the top tier guys. I think you're also looking at a situation where you are, you know, we'll see if they bring in Pierre-Luc Dubois. They've got another number of moves that they're looking at. However, I go back to the, the, the cut Ken Niami draft. I know we're dealing with a different, a different, uh, or, you know, a different, uh, regime here in terms of the decision makers. So I think at number five, I'll be taking Ryan Leonard. And I will be not passing on the rugged winger that has scoring pop like they did with Kotkaniemi over Brady Kachuk. And I also think that there's a familiarity with Ryan Leonard there. Um, you know, Kent Hughes obviously has been in that area, has been in the Boston area for a long time. That's where Ryan Leonard is from. He's come up through the ranks. Um, and while he is not a six, he's, he's just shy of six foot. He measured in at six, 11 and three quarters um, at the combine. But he plays big, and I think that uh, uh, a, a more rugged winger with scoring pop is going to be the order of the day for Kent, Kent uh, Hughes and, and the, the administration there. So the, I think the interesting decision with Montreal is, you know, you went Slavkovsky one last year. Yeah. Your other first was Philip Mishar, who was a, who was a wing. Uh, Cole Caulfield's such a huge part of their team right wing. now. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe Owen Beck's a center in the NHL. Maybe not. We'll kind of see how his how his career goes. Can he be a legit third line center or not? I think you look at his organization and you kind of wonder, like, if you take Leonard, which I've kind of heard the same things as Chris. I think Ryan Leonard's a real possibility at five. Is when do you start addressing the premium positions? Unless you're you're happy with your defense, unit, unless you believe Lane Hudson is is going to play, and you think Logan Mayu is going to play and, and be a good player. And you think Kirby Doc has a long-term future as a top six center in the NHL. Um, 
I, and the answers to those questions may all be yes. And you, you plug in Leonard and he's a great player. Uh, but I think that's an interesting question is when you consider him versus Ryan Bacher. Is, yeah. Do you address the premium position or do you, or do you take an, another wing, even though he's an excellent and uniquely uh, unique wing in terms of the way he plays? Yeah, and I, I would say that I, I think that the odds of Doc sticking at, at center uh, are solid and, and being a top six center are solid, but I still don't see why that would preclude uh, – even, sorry, I still don't see why Hudson or, or Mayu playing and panning out would preclude a Reinbacher pick. I think that's still – even if both of those guys hit, I think that's still something that Montreal could stand to address, and I think that's what makes it such a tough decision. I'm not necessarily dispute, like disagreeing with, with Chris here. I think it's yeah. very possible, but I think that that's what makes it a tough decision for Montreal. How convinced are you that Reinbacher – is a is going to be the top four top pairing kind of potential guy that you would want to take at fifth overall. I think that's the other thing, and I and and I think that that's really I you know the the rumors have suggested that the debate is between Reinbacher and Leonard here, and not Mitchkov. Um, would history tell you then that when in that if that is a debate, then that the managements typically favor the defenseman? Yes. When that happens, I I, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. But if you're if you're especially confident that Leonard is a not just a, like like a foundational forward for you, yeah, I think I, f- I feel like he's the safer projection between the two players. Personally, he also gives them a sort of scoring and competitiveness element that say what you will about what the rest of their forwards up front look like, but that is those are two things that they would absolutely covet. In That's this a scenario. need. Um, yeah, it's a need. That's for he, sure. He, he, he'll drag everybody else into the fight. He's going to score some goals and put the puck in the back of the net. And they need they need both of those elements. On top of the fact that I would just add that, obviously, Ken Hughes is a Boston guy. He's a Western Mass kid. Uh, didn't play on those Boston teams that Kent coached growing up. Right. But he, he right. would be pretty right. intimately familiar with, with Ryan Leonard as a Western Mass kid who played on some of those all-star teams with Will Smith and those other kids, right? So there, there's a tie-in there. Not that that's it sort of deciding factor but uh, it does feel like it doesn't hurt Leonard's case all right Scott why don't you uh go on the clock now for Arizona yeah this one's interesting because we know that they we know that they took a few players to dinner they took Dvorsky they took Leonard they took Wander they took Benson they took Jaeger but they've also got picks at, at six and 12 and we also know that they've used a lot of their recent picks on forwards at the top of the draft right so Logan Cooley and Connor Geeky last year Dylan Genther before that uh, they've invested serious resources into taking forwards with their sort of premium assets. So it does feel like Reinbacker is the natural choice here. And then in saying that, I know when I was doing my reporting on my story that I did right before U18 Worlds on, on Dalbor Dvorsky, that the AIK staff told me that the team that had been on Dvorsky the most all year, bar none, was the Arizona Coyotes. And that plus the dinner that they had with him, I think it's not as cut and dry as take the defenseman and take Reinbacker and move on here. Uh, I still think that's where I'm going to go here, but I, I, I think it's closer to 50, 50 than people may realize with Dvorsky. Um, just get the the hunch and the sense that they really, really like Dalibor and that he'd fit into their plans as if, if you're one, two, three down the middle is Logan Cooley, Dalibor Dvorsky, and then one of Barrett Hayton or Connor Geeky. Um, that's, that's a pretty good young sort of nucleus down the middle that they can play around with for the next few years. And, uh, Dvorsky would also fit into the timeline that they're sort of operating under with potential relocation, potential new arena. He just signed in the SHL through till 2025. So I think there's a lot about Dvorsky that, that makes a lot of sense for them. 
but I think at the end of the day, you just have to come back to the fact that they've invested a lot at forward. Reinbacker's there. Reinbacker fits in as a potential sort of number two, number three defenseman for them. Uh, and that just, that makes a, a lot of sense for them as well. So I, I'll go Reinbacker with the caveat that I, I think there's a real good chance this is Dvorsky, especially if Reinbacker goes five to Montreal, right? Yeah, I agree on terms of the Reinbacker situation there. And I think that's what, there's two really interesting questions, I think, with this pick at six for Arizona. It's, um, I think the defenseman conundrum is real. I think, you know, this is now a team without Oliver Reckon Larson in the mix anymore, without Jacob Chicken in the mix anymore. Victor Soderstrom, their 11th overall pick a few years ago, hasn't really developed at the pace that they, they want him to. So this is an organization that needs defense talent. They have picks of 6 and 12. I think you you have to, if you're the Coyotes, you have to come away with a defenseman or try to at least with, with those picks of 6 and 12. And if Ryan Backer's here at 6, I think it makes that plan really easy. But if Montreal goes Reinbacker at five, that's where I think it really makes this pick really, really interesting. Because like I think the people in the league will tell you the best player available is, as Scott said, Dvorsky or Ryan Leonard. But do you go that there, or do you take a defenseman? Do you is this where you take Dmitry Simashev? Is this where you take Tom Mulander? or do you kind of wait and or or, or actually Axel Santin Pelikar, whoever, or do you hope one of them is there at twelve that you're really high on? And then the second question is Matvey Mitchkov. We didn't really touch on it as much in the Montreal pick, but I think it's worth discussing here in Arizona is, you know, why not Mitchkov to Arizona? I think some people in the league would argue, well, they're several years out. They may not even have a ring for several years. Why is this not a fit? And and my thinking on that is because you don't have a ring and because you don't have certainty, you need to get this guy signed mm-hmm. and you need to convince him to be part of your organization. And And can you feel confident that you can do that? Yeah, I think that's actually one of the the factors here is that, you know, what is what, what a part of the risk of Mitchkov isn't, you know, he has leverage. He doesn't have to sign with you. He could I mean, you, he he wants to play in the NHL. But I think that he has enough leverage to kind of not dictate where he goes, but to like if Arizona were to draft him, what what assurances would they have that he'd ever sign there? And that's and that becomes the issue because he can make a lot of money in Russia. I know he wants to play in the NHL. I don't I don't have any question he will eventually. And maybe you can use him as a trade chip, but I think that's way too much to leave to chance with that valuable of a pick in this particular draft. On top of that, I just think in Nashville, these meetings that he's going to have with these clubs next week take on so much more meaning, and that would be even more pronounced for both sides of the equation in any conversations between Michkov and Arizona over the next few days, just because who knows, right? And who knows from him and where he's at. We di- I do know that there were players at the top of last year's draft that were hoping that they weren't through their agents, et cetera, that were hoping that they weren't going to go to Arizona. I think it's not at the moment, at sort of this point in time, it's not a desirable place for these kids to land. And when you're Matt Bay Michkov and you've got sort of more risk associated. It just seems to heighten all of these. And then on top of that, this is just so late in the process for those kinds of conversations and these kinds of introductions in terms of him meeting with teams in Nashville that you're going to have to make, both sides are going to have to make really good impressions on each other. It just feels like there's enough opportunity in a conversation between Arizona and Michkov for that to just not break the right way. I think Mitchkov's going to still be a focus here at uh, at seven here. So Corey, why don't we uh, put you on the clock there for Philadelphia? No, I mean he will be a focus, and I think everybody is kind of betting on him going to Washington at eight. But I think Philly's going to break their hearts here, and they're going to take the Russian. And uh, I th- and 
you know, I, I saw Daniel Breer's kind of presser there today and he's kind of talked, you know, I think the general mood out of Philly has been long-term rebuild and be patient and this is going to take some time. And like I said, Briere was talking about, you know, we're talking about play, how this player is going to look, you know, several years down the line, not helping us in one or two years. And you, know, you look at some of the moves they've made, they've clearly got some political capital with this new management group to, to take some time to tear some things down, to try and retool. And you've got a, you know, a core now that has Cutter Goche in it. You're probably going to have a very high pick again next year. Uh, and, you know, I think you at with, with, with Goche. And now Matvey Michkov, I think you now, and probably some, you know, whoever you pick at 22. And then again, next year, I think you start to see uh, the core coming together. If Ryan Leonard was here, I think it would be very tempting to, to Philadelphia, but I'm, I'm going to give him Michkov here. All right. That puts Washington in a, in a fascinating situation at number eight, because I think it has been Washington to Mitch, or Michkov to Washington, Michkov to Washington the whole way. If he's off the board by the time they're there, I think their best bet is probably to grab a center, whether that be uh, Dalibor Dvorsky and Nate Danielson. I, I think they're going to need to restock that premium position here. And I think I would lean Dvorsky, but I don't know, Chris, Scott, Corey, are you guys hearing any specific names here? Uh, the only thing I would think of is that if they did go Danielson is Ross Mahoney is is their head scout. He's plugged into the West as anybody. You know, whether I don't know whether he likes the player or not, but I mean, they are uh, a team that has a very good feel on the Western League, but I would kind of tend to agree with you. I would I would guess it would be Dvorsky. Yeah, there's just been such a groundswell of Dvorsky. You don't hear a bad thing from anybody when you ask around about him at this point. The U18s just seem to push him from that 10 to 15 conversation into this range. It doesn't feel like he's going to linger much longer than this. So I think Dvorsky at eight, if he's there and he's the sort of last of that, that group of eight that seems to have developed, it makes makes a lot of sense that that Washington would take him even after taking centers in in theory centers right and Hendricks Lapierre and Connor McMichael but you don't know what you're getting out of either of those two kids at this point there's question marks about both of those kids so they're not reason enough not to take a center here and both of them may be wingers in the NHL I've been putting together the uh, consensus big board here uh, that'll run on Friday and it, it was interesting. Dvorsky is six on that list, which includes all three of your rankings, uh, Bob McKenzie's and, and Craig Buttons. He's sixth on that list, despite not clocking in at sixth or higher on any of them. And it, it's just <laughs> what Scott said. You, you just don't find anyone who doesn't like this guy. And he rises on, on the back of that. I think I think it's really interesting. Yeah. All right, Chris, that puts you up for Detroit at number nine. And uh good luck with this. Yeah, I know. When I saw <laughs> when I saw that I got Detroit. And you got to try and get inside the mind of, of Steve Eiserman and, and Chris Draper and the brain trust there. I was just like, oh, man, that ain't good because um, it's hard. It's hard because I think they have a lot of different a lot of different ways they can go with this pick. Um, and, uh, you know, to me, you look we've talked a lot about the size and the different things of the guys in this draft. And you think about the guys that are going to be here at this range, you got Benson, you've got Perot, you know, and then you've got other on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got wood bar, you know, Barlow is not much bigger than the other guys, but he's a, is above six foot. Um, you know, you've got the Oliver Moore and the speed factor and different things like that. There's so many different guys that I think you could kind of pull here. I think, you know, they're right in his backyard. They should have a really good book on him. Um, you know, you continue to get more skilled and more dynamic as a team. 
if you draft Gabe Perot. If you draft Gabe Perot in this range, you are getting a player that you know has shattered any expectations of of production production at the NTDP. Um, I think that you know it'd be great to get bigger, but I just think they need more help on the wing. You know, they've they've got some guys that are going to be their long term guys down the middle. You know, I think that I have a, a high expectations for Marco Casper long term um, down the middle for them. But this is such a you know, and I really had to wait to see how the rest of the board would go. You hope that maybe somebody takes a swing and, and you know, Dvorsky's there um, or something like that. I, I have mocked Matthew Wood to them as well. I think that that's a real possibility of getting bigger and more scoring, um, you know, getting a guy that's going to play well down low. And also, uh, but you know, I just, you know, somebody pointed out to me and I, I was like, yeah, he may not really fit the, the Iserman mold of a pick um, necessarily. If there is such a thing. I mean, sometimes you have that to wonder. Wood or Perot? Wood. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, cause, yeah, cause, cause Max either. and I, Max and I kind of debated this earlier today. Cause I, Mock Perot to the Detroit at nine, and I think that the Detroit faithful that's that uh, that Max brings to the Athletic, you know, we're worried that it's just another guy who kind of looks like Lucas Raymond. He's not that big, he's not that fast, but he's got all this skill and he works hard enough. And it's like, well, we do we have two of these guys in our top six, and that's when I really started to think about Matt Wood as a yeah. real possibility here, to Detroit at nine. And as we get yeah. closer to the draft, I'm starting to hear a lot more people express support for this guy than I had all season. Not yeah. surprising after his great U18 World Championships. And you're right, he doesn't fit the maybe the high compete mold that Detroit targets high in the draft typically. Um, but he is 6'4". Uh, he has a ton of offensive abilities. And you know he has great skill, hockey sense, goal scoring ability. He was really good in college this year. So you just talked and, me into it. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's 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 a I think it'd be a cause I don't that's who I had in my is. last mock draft too. Yeah, <laughs> you can take him. It's, it's not, it's not yeah. too late. Are we locked in? Did I did no, I submit the fine. pick to the central the, the registry next, yet? The next pick isn't off the board. We we can play by different rules here. All right, so there it is. Okay, well that's who I mocked in my last draft, and and now Corey's talked me back into it. Because you're right. Because I, I do. That was my debate with Perot. Is just you know now you've got Raymond and Perot. That's eh, you know, and I, I think like you can have smaller players on your team. You can have guys that are undersized. You can do that. You just can't have a ton of them high up in your lineup. It just it just doesn't work. But this is like where the tension is. Is that I don't think either of those guys are ideal Eiserman picks high in the draft. Right. Know? And you know you know. Gabe competes well, but it's not like an elite compete type. And Wood is, you know, he's big, but he's not super competitive. It's, it's, it's an, it, you know, Benson has the elite motor, but he's five foot nine. It's, it's an interesting conundrum there. I think them at that exact yes. spot, given what we think is going to be on the board. Yes. Yeah. Other- so I'll, yeah, go on. Sorry, Scott. Go no, on. I was just going to say the other layer to it is, is, is there, is there an opportunity that any of these teams consider that Matt might be able to move back to center? He played wing exclusively at UConn last year, but played center exclusively in the BCHL for his two seasons in the BCHL. That's another factor, I think, for Detroit. Is ideally they'd love to get a center here. Does does he play with the? I can't see him playing center. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I just, just don't. Th- I don't think he has the feet. Yeah, I don't think he yeah. has the feet. Yeah, or or the. Well, there's one more punk, guy frankly. here. Yeah, right, right. That I think we should be talking about though, and that's Samuel Hanzik, who I, I realize it's not Matthew Wood, Gabe Perot kind of skill, but. 
I think when you project what his offense might have been over a full season had he not gotten hurt, he does have more of those peripheral Iserman traits. We know that, you know, Hanzik described his interview with Detroit at the Combine as his best one. I think he belongs in that mix, and I don't think it's out of the question that he ends up turning in to a, you know, 50 to 60 point winger who complements all these guys really well. Maybe yeah. he doesn't have the pure skill, but I think he belongs in that conversation. And and if if this pick goes the way, if this draft goes the way that we have it, Max, I mean, you know, I know that Steve and his media availability said that, you know, he, they did not have plans to trade the pick. But is if it goes this way, is there any possibility that you try to trade down and maybe, you know, or, or is there are you leaving too much to chance just because there's a lot of good players in this range here? I think we would need to know their tiers. It would surprise me just because I feel like you know, the, the, the message the whole way has been, you know, need high end players, need high end players, which doesn't scream trade back, especially when you already have 17. But if you have four guys in a tier and you want to go back to if Arizona wants to come up and I guess they in this scenario, they already got a D or if there's somebody they love, you know, I, I don't know. But uh, it, it's a good question. But I just feel like it, the emphasis has been on getting this this high end that they're missing. And I feel like you don't usually get that by going backward. But I don't know. True, true. No, that's fair. All right, let's go to number 10 here, and we're going to take a break after that. But uh, let's go to St. Louis here at, at number 10. Yeah, so I had jotted down in my notes here that uh, I, I think this comes down to if if one of the sort of top D are available, and it's not going to be Rhinebacker. So if, if you believe that they are going to covet a player like Tom Wander, then it has to be him. I think ideally they'd like to get a C or a D here. Uh, even even if Gabe Perot's there, even if Zach Benson's there, they've they've gone to the winger well consistently at the top of the draft in recent years. Uh, even Zach Bolduke, who played some center in minor hockey growing up, is going to be a winger in the NHL. We know that Jimmy Snuggerud is going to be a winger in the NHL. Uh, you go down the list. So this is going to be C or D here, but I think with with Willander, uh, he just makes a lot of sense as a player that they like. He's he, I mean, they, they've, they've targeted two things above all else in their defensemen, not just uh, on the amateur side, but on the pro side in terms of free agency and trades that they've made in St. Louis over the years. And it's they, they want guys who can skate and who can defend and who can play in transition, and that's what Tom Wander does. So I think they give consideration to an Oliver Moore or a Nate Danielson or a Braden Yeager that kind of those next three C's here, I'm sure will be in the conversation for them. But I think if Wander's there, uh, he makes the most sense in terms of just grounding out their pool on defense and, and giving them that sort of premium two-way defender. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we are back, and Corey, that puts you and the Vancouver Canucks on the clock. Yeah, and I think Vancouver's in a really similar position to St. Louis 
in that a lot of their premium draft assets in recent years have been used on the wings. Uh, there is a pressing need in the organization for centers. There's even more pressing or- need in the organization for defensemen. And the only difference between their situation and the blue situation is they pick one pick later. And and what do you know it? Uh, Tom Willander goes at 10 to St. Louis. And now they have to ask some hard questions. Are we going Russian here? Are we taking Dmitry Simashev here at 11? Or do we go with the center at 11? I think they've expressed a lot of interest in Nate Danielson. I think Nate Danielson makes a lot of sense to them at 11 as a two-way center with size who can skate and has skill. And I think he would fill a lot of organizational needs and be a very good player as well. So I, we will give Nate Danielson to the Canucks at 11. All right. So that goes to Arizona. Arizona got the D early, which I think helps them here because they could be in, in a little bit of a pickle otherwise, um, although Dmitry Simashev is still there. I think this puts it to Arizona. Do you want to take one of these smaller skilled wingers, a Gabe Perot or a Zach Benson, or do you want to go for a forward of, of whatever position with a little more size and muscle to him? I'm thinking Hans, like I'm thinking Daniel Boot. I think I'm going to give them uh, Boot here. Um, I, I don't know that this is a little bit of a guess, but it's uh, I, I feel like he's got kind of the attributes to complement some of the skill that they've picked up in their recent classes, whether you think of a Logan Cooley, uh, whether you think of a Dylan Genther. You know, maybe there's a little bit of a wait time, but I, I don't think it's an extreme one, uh, certainly not on the Mitchkov level. And I would say the theme in the league is everybody believes they want to get bigger. What, how will they do it and exactly how big is big and, you know, what you have to give back in other, asset, in other parts of the game. But I, I do think whether it's, you know, Hanzik, whether it's Matt Wood, uh, I, you know, there's, there's other players that can be, that be picked high, you know, uh, like, like maybe even Coley Bartle isn't that big, for example. But I do think they want to get bigger. Sends it back to Chris for Buffalo at number 13. Yeah, this is an interesting one, too, because I think, you know, you look at what they have, um, you know, they've they've obviously used a lot of draft capital on on the blue line. They've gotten some really good forwards. They've got some good scoring wings. They've got a lot, you know, so I think that they have a lot of uh, of options available to them. And they're also in a position where they can wait a little bit. And, uh, you know, especially since they're so good on the, you know, in terms of, of depth on the left side, this is where I think it makes sense for a team to go and, and take a Dmitry Simashev. And, and Simashev to me, um, you know, and he's, he's lower on my list because of, you know, the, the various risks associated. I think that there's, you know, the, the offensive upside is, is, you know, I know, I, I think it did improve. Like, I think that we saw a little bit more of what's in his toolkit as the season progressed this year. And so I'm less concerned about that. But I think if you're specifically Buffalo, you know, you can potentially grab another high-end defenseman, a guy that's going to defend very well, that keeps your your blue line mobile enough. Um, you know, you you look at the long term and you say, okay, well, we've got we've got Darlene, we've got power, and now you know we we've got Matias Samus, and now we've got Simashev as well. You know, like I, I do think that that makes sense. And since you are not in a rush to get that player over here, you it's you know they I think they. You know, I, I think they're going to have some stopgap defensemen. I think they're going to tr- probably try to address that um, at the NHL level in the more short term. But if you're looking long term, and you know, you think about that blue line long term, all of a sudden you're you're building an absolute juggernaut of a blue line. You're also going to have an ELC coming over at a time when you're really going to need it when power Correct. gets paid and once Darlene is paid. Great point. And, also, and yeah, I was just going to say they've also recently signed who Kisakov, Nuchev. Uh, Novikov, yep. Komarov, they've, they've, they've committed to several Russian prospects and 
have signed them out of Russia. Obviously, different in Komarov's situation because he's playing in the QMJHL. But the other three guys that I just listed there are all over in Russia and have recently been signed by that club. So they clearly feel comfortable with their connections over there. Yep. All right, Scott, uh, that puts you on the clock for Pittsburgh at number 14. Yeah, an interesting one because I think they're in a position where they, they the pool is the pool. We all know it. It's it's ugly. There's nothing there. It's not like they have holes to plug. It's not like they have an abundance in any one way. Uh, this is really their first major asset that they've had at the draft in some time. And we know that it didn't work out with Samuel pooling. I'm sure like they hoped it would either. So uh, they feel like to me, a team that just needs to take a really talented player and take a cut here. Uh, I think Kyle will be prepared to do that. Just knowing the way that he's drafted in the past, he likes competitive players. He likes smart players. Uh, and in previous drafts, I'd, I'd gone to players like in mock drafts, I'd gone to players like Matt Wood uh, and Samuel Hansik here and that kind of a thing. But I think with Benson being available here, uh, Benson just fits so well in terms of at least what Kyle liked in Toronto. And also just in, in adding a, a really talented player to a pool that hasn't had one in a long, long time while also having the, that sort of competitive work ethic engine piece to his game that everybody admires about Zach. So uh, I, I think Benson uh, will be my pick here for Pittsburgh. Yep. And one quick thing about Pittsburgh before we move on to is, you know, when you have this kind of regime change, you know, the interesting thing is that you've got Kyle there, but now you still have, you know, Nick Pryor running your draft and mm-hmm. is the you know, director of amateur scouting. You still have a lot of the same pieces from before. And it'll be interesting to see that kind of push pull dynamic of, you know, a new general manager putting a stamp on a team or, you know, allowing that group to go with what they had. And, and you're right, Scott. I mean, they just need players and, I mean, especially, I think, you know, Benson's value only shoots up the further down the board he goes here. And, um, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense to me that that could, that could very well have been the pick anyway. And I think with Pittsburgh at 14 and even Washington at eight, it's the aging core question. And it's, is this even the team making the pick question? And I think yeah. like what we, 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 I think everybody's always talked about what Pittsburgh trading the pick at 14, but I think Washington trading the pick at eight is at least a somewhat real realistic possibility, especially as it plays out as above and Mitchkov is gone that I think you have to ask, okay, we take Dvorsky realistically. When's he coming? Two years, three years, four years. He's going to be yeah. helping us win games. Is that really going to help Alex Ovechkin right now? Yeah. Well, it, maybe that makes a, a Matt Wood compelling here in its own way too. You've got a kid who's already played a year of college who may be able within a year or two to sort of be a two and done or three and done player in college and make that jump. Maybe he can fit into this window in a way that Zach Benson uh, may not be able to, at least not quite as quickly, but it does still feel like Benson's just uh, lingering here and that Pittsburgh could be a team that, that sort of covets what he brings to the table. And also just in a situation with Kyle at the helm where he can afford to take a swing here and, uh, if I recall correctly, Kyle said he was really, really comfortable in his opening press conference with this draft class specifically. Like he made a point of saying that. Uh, so I think he'll he'll have done his homework to compliment Nick Pryor and, and the rest of the group there. All right. Uh, where does that leave us? That puts us at Nashville at number 15, Corey. You know, when I've been trying to think of who Nashville is going to draft, uh, when I'm doing going through my mock drafts, I've, I've been thinking of big toolsy guys. I think of this could be a uh, Samuel Hanzik landing spot. I've thought of David Edstrom. I've thought of Quentin Musty. I've thought of Daniel Boot here. Um, but in none of these scenarios that I think Gabriel Perot was still going to be on the board because it feels like the momentum for him in the league has been in the opposite direction where he just 
I just keep hearing really, really positive things around about him around the league. And I did not, you know, think that he would be available at 15. Um, and he almost wasn't. Uh, he was going to Detroit at nine before I whispered in the GM's ear as he was going up. And then he had announced a different name <laughs> when, when he got onto the stage. Um, um, and, but I think in this scenario, he's just too good, too skilled, too smart. Gabriel Perot to the National Predators. And Barry Trotz has said that he wants someone who's going to get fans out of their seats in Nashville. I think Gabriel Perot certainly qualifies, right? Like the line was something like, I can find you uh, good bottom six players. I, I want yeah. I want some some flash and skill. That That's Gabe Perot all day. My only caveat no there would be they've taken a lot of wingers at the draft in recent years. Joachim Kemmel, Zachary Larue. You go down the list, it's even Luke Evangelista. Yeah, I was going to say Luke Evangelista is going to play the wing. Who knows what Fedor Svechkov will be. Uh, so it does they, they feel to me like a team that could could covet uh, a center here. But I know Corey's absolutely right. I mean, Gabe being available there, it would be hard for them to pass up, especially within Barry Trotz's sort of take swings approach that he's been parroting. All right, that goes to me at Calgary, uh, number 16. And I think, I think they would have to be thrilled to get Samuel Hansik there. Another team that I think, uh, you know, in fact, reading Julian McKenzie's story today, his interview with Todd Button, certainly sounds like a team that wants to get bigger. This is a toolsy player who I think does have the upside to be uh, a legit top six piece for them. I, I think Calgary's thrilled if, if Samuel Hansik falls to him at 16. I would agree with you, Max. I think that's great. Now I just looked at the draft board again and what happened here? I've got a pick know, for really Detroit again. You, it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think Hanzik makes a lot of sense for Calgary, and I, I think that'd be a very astute pick for them. Um, so I think when you get to Detroit at this point, it, it, there's a different. I think there's a different tier of players that you're operating under. I think that there's, you know, you you do have to have that Axel Sandin Pelica discussion at this point. You know, you have to say, hey, uh, you know, we we've got a chance to get a, a guy that's got some mobility, they can move pucks. You know, we we've 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 got some uh, some needs there, and. Uh, I think for for me at the end, like I think it comes down to between him and and, and I think Oliver Moore would be another guy that would be get some strong consideration here. Uh, you know, you you add that speed dynamic to your roster, um, but you're talking, you know, two guys that that don't have necessarily size on their hand. But I think when you look at Sandy Pelica and you you say, okay, well we've got we've got some really good uh, talented uh, young guys that are in our system already, and and, and guys like Edvinson and 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 a, a whole bunch more, you know. The, the the Red Wings are not uh, shy about selecting Swedes, as uh, Max, you well know, as uh, you keep getting these trips to Sweden out of the deal. Um, so, you know, but I think that uh, I think that that's, you know, ultimately a, a range like I think they could do well to get a, a top tier defender here, a guy that could potentially be a top four guy. Um, and then, you know, it just it, it just seems to fit in terms of the way that they draft as well. I, I think you're right that they don't shy away from the Swedes, but, and I've thought about Axel Sandin Pelica at the 17th pick with them. Um, you know, it's it, uh, quite a bit actually, but the, the question is, is when you look at Eisenman's draft history, he doesn't like this type of defenseman typically who of this size, but is Sandin Pelica just so skilled that it overcomes that. And especially since I would argue he's a competitive player too. Like he's got a little bit of a, he's yeah. not going to run people over, but he's got a little bit of bite in him. Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, I think too, like just the hockey sense element for him is, 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 is pretty good. Like, you know, I think that's another thing that'll speak to, you know, and advancing up the ranks, playing in a, a substantial role as a, as an older player. I mean, you know, and, and, um, 
you know, Steve, Steve Eisenman did once take uh, Tony D'Angelo in the first round at this size. So, uh, but I think, I, th- I don't think we're dealing with the same kind of player here with uh, Sandy Pelica. Well, what I would say is I, I think what this comes down to is what does Hawken Anderson think of Axel Sandy and Pelica? And if, if Hawken Anderson's going to pound the table for this guy, then I do think he, he would picks be made. A, a strong candidate. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but and, I, I like your, your Oliver Moore fallback. I have to say, I think that that would be a really good outcome for them too. Yeah. I know the winds are blowing towards Tom Willander going over Sandy and Pelica. Like, I believe that's the order it should be in. Um, I think that's what's going to happen on draft day. But there's still quite a few scouts who have it the other way. Yep. And who believe Sandin Pelica is the second best defenseman in the draft. All right. That puts us on to number 18. Scott, that goes to you and the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, we're kind of in a situation that that Corey and I shared when we did our sort of trading mock draft here, where I, I think the Jets would love to get one of those four defensemen in a best case scenario. Um it just feels to me like that's not going to be an option for them though. They they've they've used I mean we all they've used a ton of assets on forwards. Rucker McGordy, Brad Lambert, Chaz Lucius, Cole Perfetti. Like it's been constant for them uh, in terms of forwards. Uh, and yet once those guys are gone, is a team going to feel comfortable here taking a, an Oliver Bonk or a Tanner Molendick or a Lucas Dragasevich or an Etienne Moray? And I think the answer is probably no. Uh, which which turns you back to some of the the high end forwards that are still left. So now, do you take another sort of smaller guy, if you will? I mean, uh, or or do you do you go after a little bit of size that you maybe lacked when you drafted Chaz and when you drafted Cole? Uh, I, I think the more likely scenario is that they they go after uh, someone who can score, someone who sort of provides a little bit more of a competitive edge. So I wonder whether this is maybe the, the landing spot for for Quinton Musty or for Coley Barlow. Uh, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Colby Barlow here, um, just because this does feel like the range he's going to go. He's got in terms of flavor. He looks a little bit like what they targeted in Rucker McGordy last year. Really athletic kid. Really strong kid. Uh, the leadership qualities that they liked in Rucker McGordy are the same leadership qualities that everybody likes in Colby Barlow. Uh, and then he can he can shoot the puck and, and sort of help them as they transition away from from Blake Wheeler and Pierre Luc Dubois and their sort of current core of forwards. I didn't know Winnipeg was allowed to pass up an NTDP kid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, well, they they eventually leave, right? So <laughs> that's true. I, I, I that when when Scott was making that pick, I was like, pick a Canadian, pick a Canadian, pick a Canadian, because <laughs> I really do, because I I do think that that is something that they have to at least consider at this point. They've gone to that well so many times, and then you you know you you're starting a seven year clock whenever they get to the NHL. It seems like Corey, uh, you're up now at uh, number nineteen for Chicago. I think this range of the draft is interesting just because Scott alluded. I think, you know, this is an above average draft. So I think this still happens around 18, 19, 20 and other drafts happen around maybe 14, 15, 16, where the top tier is still on the board, but you don't have your pick of the top tier anymore. It's just what's left. And there's still a couple of top tier forwards left. We have Braden Yeager left. We have Oliver Moore left. And I think Chicago would like to add to their forward group. This is a team that just mm-hmm. lost Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane. They need a lot of skill. They got it out one, but they they need more of it. They added, you know, Frank Nazar last year, uh, but they still need a lot more. And, you know, with Bedard and with Nazar, those are small guys. In an ideal world, again, if you're picking earlier, you can get some size with the skating and the skill, but we don't live in that ideal world. You get what you get at 19. And I think they will be between Braden Yeager and Oliver Moore here if this is how the board played out. 
And I, I'm going to give them Jaeger here, just like I did in my last mock draft. I like it. Uh, I think Seattle in that scenario at, at 20 has to be very happy to take Oliver Moore and, and extend their center depth. They, they've come away with from their first couple of drafts with Maddie Beneers and Shane Wright. And, you know, the success this year, you know, is supposed to kind of put them out of the range to get another uh, premium position. You, know, you can argue whether Moore is really a premium player or not, but I think he certainly has a premium asset in his skating. And if he ends up the third line center for this team, I think he could be one of the better third line centers in the league. I think there is like a, I think he fits really well in as a third line center too. Cause I don't know if you just kind of with the program, I don't know if you want him to be the guy and like you're one of your main offensive contributors, but I think he can be a really good secondary offensive guy who can be excellent in possession, kill penalties and, and, and do a lot of things to help you win. My only question with Moore in Seattle would be suddenly you've drafted a lot of five foot 11, five foot 10 types up front. Jager yep. Furkus, David Goyette, Oliver Moore, uh, even even Shane Wright and Matty Beniers aren't exactly sort of big, bigger guys, if you will. Uh, so I, I I I was always circling like a like a Quinton Musty there, or someone who added a little bit more, a little bit more length. I think perfect world. I would have loved to take a D for them, but yeah. I just don't see the the value here at this pick with this board because um, they still haven't used like a, a premium pick on a D yet. Although Riker Evans progressing obviously really well, but. That probably would have been my first priority. And I think Musty, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but more it is, I'm, I'm not going to pull a Peters here. Uh, <laughs> and, and we'll take a quick break. And we'll, we'll get right back into it for the last 12 of the first round. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we are back and diving right back into our first round mock draft. We're going to go to number 21 at Minnesota and Chris Peters. Yeah, I, I think this is an area, you know, we've, we've kind of been talking around a couple of guys, uh, one that we haven't really mentioned a whole lot yet as the guys with a little bit of size and still have some offensive pop is Callum Ritchie. Um, you know, he's got that 6'2 frame. He's a, you know, can play center probably you know i think there's a good chance he's a winger um you know played through an injury throughout this year i think it really impacted him you know I, I, he was inconsistent this year no question about it um you know if you look at the entire body of work i think that there's a lot there um to look at and, and to to like about the player um and i think that you take advantage of of kind of a a, a down year for him getting him a little bit later than maybe he could have gone in, in other years especially given the size and you take callum ritchie at 21 that not to drag this on too long here, but that Oshawa team was terrible too. Like they just had nothing yeah, around. Yeah, it doesn't, it, it doesn't help. <laughs> similar, yeah. similar to Nate Danielson and Brandon, where y- you can only do so much when you're the only, when you're the only weapon out there kind of thing. So 
I could see him really popping next year as that team gets a year older and sort of having what, uh, what a Connor McMichael or a Philip Tomasino did in their post draft season, where suddenly they go from point per game to a hundred points kind of thing. Like, I think you could chase that down. Scott, let's go to you here with Philadelphia. Yeah, I think the first the first pick is is really going to to help determine this second pick. I think ideally they'd like to go with D. We've heard Keith Jones uh, in multiple of his sort of conversations, whether it's radio, podcast, his opening sort of presser, etc. He's talked about how he's going to build this team. Him and Danny are going to build this team from the back end. Uh, I think if they go Michkov at at seven, that it's much more likely that they use one of these on on a defenseman. Uh, in saying that, though, uh, I, it wouldn't shock me if they took another. If, if they're if they're a team that's now comfortable all of a sudden taking a Matt Bamichkov, I wonder whether they're a team that's comfortable taking an Edward Shawley too, right? And just doubling down, injecting some skill into the into the roster here, and sort of going about it that way. Uh, in saying that, though, I, I do still think if they go if they go Michkov at seven, you're probably going to see them take a D here. So I'll go Oliver Bonk, who seems to have sort of established himself as that next guy once those. Uh, big boys are gone, if you will. Uh, just a sort of projectable, uh, quote-unquote, safe pick, if you will. Really well-rounded kid. Maybe doesn't have a defining quality, but uh, can defend and has a little bit of offense and sort of looks like he's going to be an NHL player. I'm, I'm the Rangers GM here at Kick 23, and I'm just devastated right now because I was just ready to call that name right, right before the Flyers picked him at 22. Uh, and now it's, it's interesting buying here for the Rangers. I think you do would like with how much talent they have on the wings. I think you would like to see them get a center or a defenseman, get some size into the organization. That's why I was thinking of Bonk. I'm thinking of David Edstrom here. I'm thinking of Charlie Stramel here. Um, I think it could be Edstrom or Stramel. Just just my hunch. Um, I think the way the league is trending right now, more people in the league would take Edstrom over Stramel. Just the way that organization seems to think and prioritize player types i just think charlie strable feels like a ranger with the with the nastiness in his game and to go with the size um you know their director of amateur scouting and john Lilly's, you know has probably seen him for a very long time based in the u.s and that's just my hunch i don't know chris where do you think strable will end on draft day yeah i mean i i think that because of this you know this this kind of dearth of these these bigger players these big with with athletic tools uh, you know i think that a lot of teams understand how bad wisconsin was last year and i i think there are absolutely concerns about the hockey sense i still think really anywhere here in these next 10 picks or the very very beginning of the second round um i think it's a wide range because definitely there are people that just don't think stramel thinks that at all. Um, there are people that have seen him, you know, play much better than he did this year that would say they would take a chance on the athletic toolkit. So I, I think this definitely makes sense. I think he's the kind of player that the Rangers would like to get into their system. Um, they have, you know, a group of players up at the top of their lineup that, that Stramel could potentially fit in and kind of more of the middle to the bottom of the lineup um, in the future. And, you know, I, I think that with the way Mike Hastings is going to probably transform Wisconsin over the next couple of years here that that he's going to get trained up really well in the defensive elements of the game, which I thought he showed great improvement in this year, um, especially when we saw him at the World Juniors playing in a pretty prominent defensive role. I also think, Corey, you know, I, I'm not ready to sleep on the upside for, for Stramel either. Tough college freshman year being what it was. Like, I'm not ready to erase the memory card on what we had seen from, from Stramel previously. Like, this still could be a pick that has upside. Yep, I agree. Yep. All right, uh, number 24, uh, I had the opposite reaction when Scott 
took Bonk uh, at, at 22 because I think Edward Shala sounds a lot like what the Nashville Predators are trying to target right now and taking a little bit of a swing. Uh, and so I think he, he fits that nicely. He gives them some offense. You're going to question how much of it's going to come through, but I, I think that upside is there. Uh, and, I, I, you know, for a guy who entered this, this class, this cycle as a, uh, you know, top 10, top 15 name, getting him at 24 seems like a really good outcome for the Predators. Boy, for an organization that has lacked skilled forwards up front since basically its inception, to add Gabe Perot and Edward Chale would certainly uh, sort of change that dynamic. All right, on to number 25 here. That is Chris for the St. Louis Blues, their second pick of the day. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we're going to see a, a, this little run on some of the, the bigger forwards that have a little, you know, a couple of questions about them. And I go with Quentin Musty here. Uh, you know, he's got size skating. The skating ability is certainly the concern. Um, but I think that his offensive game has really uh, flourished in the last year. He played, played exceptionally well, you know, big time producer. He's got, you know, a little, he's not, he's not a massive guy. He's, you know, like six, close to six, two, six, one, six, two range. Um, and he's got the, the, the offensive ability. You've already got the defenseman that we took earlier with, with uh, Willander. And now you've got, you know, a scoring winger here, a guy that, you know, can play with, uh, you know, some burliness and, and, and heaviness on top of his offensive ability. All right, Scott, number 26 for San Jose. Yeah, this is a tricky one because San Jose's drafted a lot of five foot eleven forwards in recent years, and it feels to me like they would love to have had their hands on a Quinton Musty if he were still here. Uh, just a, a winger. They, they could actually use a couple of wingers within their pool and a winger with some size in particular. With him gone, though, the one player that I've been hearing just only positive things about over the last month or so uh, in terms of just how high he may go and maybe surprise some people is Otto Stenberg. Uh, we know that they've gone to Sweden consistently with San Jose. Uh, we know that that new management group has talked about wanting sort of well-rounded, competitive, versatile players. Stenberg sort of fits that. He can play center, he can play the wing, he can play up and down a lineup, he can penalty kill, he can play on the power play. Uh, so I think Stenberg, is he, he's going to go maybe even earlier than this. And it uh, feels to me like if he's there, even though he... It, sort of offers a lot of what they already have that Stenberg could be a, could be a fit here for San Jose. All right, Corey to Colorado, number 27. Now, Colorado, in my experience, under the Joe Sackett regime, tends to really prioritize athleticism. I've thought of Tanner Molendick with them. I've thought of Gavin Brindley with them. I've thought of guys like Theo Lindstein. But at the way this mock draft played out, that David Edstrom is still on the board at 27, and you can get a six foot three center who can skate and provide some secondary offense. I think they are thrilled in this scenario to add a to add a center prospect like him at 27. And I just got sniped on behalf of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, it's going to be interesting how Brad Treliving approaches. We don't really have a book on him in Toronto yet. Obviously, we know how he drafted. Uh, with Calgary, but new scouting staff, new preferences. I, I don't really know which way to lean here, to be honest. But I do like Gavin Brindley. And I think while he is a smaller player, and there may be some you know, comments made about that joining the Toronto mix, he, he is a nice blend of skill and motor and skating. And I just would have a hard time seeing it. You know, obviously, it's smaller player can miss, but I, I really like his odds of being, one's, uh, being one of the guys to, to, to beat that history. Let's go to 29 now. Chris, you're back on the clock for the Blues. Yeah, and you know, when you have multiple picks and you, you know, you, I think you can kind of get a little more aggressive. And, you know, I know there's there's debate about whether or not you should do that or, or can do that. 
Um, and while I don't think he necessarily uh, fits their their profile of of the kind of guys they draft, um, you know, I, I think. <laughs> Corey, I see Corey. Corey, we have a we have a doc open. I see Corey was trying to guess where I was going with this, and and uh, you know, and so let's see. There's a couple of different ways that I wanted to, was thinking about going with this. So, the, so I, I started my lean, and now I just want to explain a little bit more. So you've got you know the potential. They you have. It, do you believe Joel Hofer is your goalie of the future? If you do, then you're probably less likely to take a goalie. But I think you could start considering Michael Harabel here. Um, you know, as as a long term guy, a guy that you're not going to need for a while. But I, I do think there's enough here. I think like Theo Lindstein might be a, a, a fit. But we've already you know. So you want to get Tom Vlander and Theo Lindstein in into the mix there. But I'm going to go something that I would not and pre not always expect um, St. Louis to do here. And I think they, with this third pick, they go a little bit of the the higher risk, potential for high reward, and they take Andrew Crystal. All right, on to number 30 for Carolina. Scott? Yeah, so Carolina, I mean, and maybe no team in terms of amateur scouting has shown more of a type and more of a trend in terms of the types of players that they like. And yet, at this point in the draft, I think there's going to be several players that just fit as, as Carolina Hurricanes. I think they could really like Bradley Nadeau here and the skill skating element that he provides. I think they could really like Riley Height here in terms of a center who sort of fits into the, the mold that they targeted in Seth Jarvis and the mold they targeted in Ryan Suzuki in his own ways as well a little bit. Um, I, I think they could like Mikhail Gulliev. They, they have not sh- sort of shied away from drafting Russians and the talent in Gulliev is real and there are teams that are very high on it. I think of those those three, Gouliev, Nado, and Height, who I think are three players that they could could be drawn to for various reasons here. I think I'll go with Bradley Nado. I just he, he's he's a kid who impressed at the combine. He impressed in the testing. He was great in the playoffs, and it just felt like there was this building and this crescendoing that was happening for him throughout the season that just kind of solidified him as a first round pick here on talent and skating. So uh, I'll, I'll go with Nado for uh, a bit of a skill play for for the Carolina Hurricanes. All right, Montreal at number 31, Corey. As we get closer to the draft, I feel uh, just more and more teams are high on this player. I don't think he's getting out of the first round. We're here at 31. Um, And if Montreal had gone D at five, maybe this changes. They don't. They go forward at five. They got Ryan Leonard, who has all this tremendous skill and scoring ability to go with this compete. I'm giving him Tanner Mullendick at 31, uh, one of the very best skaters in the draft. He's an excellent competitor, defender, and I think there's some offense in there too. A uh, very nice player for them to get a 31. All right. And that leaves it at number 32, Vegas. I'm, I'm going to take a goalie here. I'm going to take Michael Herbal. I, I don't know if a goalie is ultimately going to go in the first round next week. Um, and obviously Vegas has, has just had quite the adventure in that. But I think locking in potentially the top goalie in this class is a good way to use a first round pick in a year that you won the Stanley Cup and, and give yourself a chance that if he turns into a starting goalie, you're, you're going to be thrilled with that. And with that, we are going to call it a wrap on this mock draft. We appreciate everybody joining us today. Uh, Next time you hear from us, it will be from Nashville. Uh, So we're looking forward to that. And thanks for listening to this episode of of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. And of course, you can catch more of Chris over at Flow Hockey and on his podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. Right now, you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Be back next week. Three episodes coming from Nashville. Tuesday, Wednesday, right after the first round. And Friday's recap of the two-day draft. We'll talk to you then.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.